Welcome back to Across the Movie Aisle, presented by Bulwark Plus. I'm your host, Sonny Bunge, culture editor of The Bulwark. I'm joined, as always, by Alyssa Rosenberg of The Washington Post. Sadly, Peter Suderman of Reason Magazine is out today. Uh, he should be back next week. Alyssa, how are you? I am happy to be talking about movies with you. With a friend. Yes. <laughs> First up... In controversies and controversies, Netflix wants to boot the freeloaders off their site. Uh, in a move that's been years in the coming, Netflix said that it's going to start cracking down on password sharing. Now, this is despite tweets from the company that uh, said things like, you know, love is sharing a password. Haha, <laughs> just kidding. Fooled you. Uh, how it's going to do so remains kind of unclear. For a while, Netflix had posted something in their FAQs about requiring users to check in with their home ISP once a month to ensure continued accents. Meaning, you know, you're going to see more visits from the kids, mom and dad. They're going to come back from college, say hi, uh, just log on to the Wi-Fi for a minute, and then we're gone. Bye, bye. We'll see you, see you in a month. Needless to say, people who share passwords are completely outraged by this decision. Doesn't Netflix understand that there are some families who share passwords for Netflix and HBO Max and Hulu, so each family only has to you know pay for one subscription to get three services? Oh, they, they do understand that? That's why they're cracking down on this? Oh, well, okay. Well, I mean, don't they understand that far fewer people will watch their shows? If they crack down on the password sharing. Oh, they, they do realize that? They just don't care if somebody who isn't paying for it uh, stops watching? Oh, okay. Well, don't they understand that this will lead to increased piracy? Again, th- what does it matter to Netflix if people go from, like, not paying for the service one way to not paying for the shows another way? I don't... I'm not 100% sure these people understand how economics works. I mean, the only real question from Netflix... It's a very simple one. Will reducing the amount of password sharing overall increase lead to an overall increase in the revenue for the company? Now, that can come in a couple different ways, right? Is for every account that cancels the service because they can no longer share passwords with kids in college or elderly parents in nursing homes, will they gain more accounts uh, as a result from the kids in college who want to sign up from the elderly parents or just from the families? If you have one family sharing a password with three other families, each of them taking one of the four profiles taken, um, what are the odds that you get two of those families to show, sign up or even just one so it's a wash, right? That's a that's a real question. I don't know I don't know what the answer is. I come at this from a like a almost a moral perspective, right? I get very annoyed that people feel so goddamn entitled to getting something for nothing. I mean, I just like it, it, it like flames on the side of my face. I like, it makes me crazy. Uh, it is crazy making to me. And it is like genuinely shocking also how many grown adults start saying on Twitter, you know, well, I use my parents' Netflix. You're a, you're a grown ass person. Like you have a home. You, you, you have, you, do you not pay for your rent? Do you not pay? Oh, you're probably on your phone, the parents' phone plan too, huh? I don't know, man. I understand that times are tight. I understand people don't like to pay for things sometimes, but I have a very basic baseline rule on this stuff, which is that if you don't pay for the things you enjoy, the things you enjoy go away. Um, And Netflix is no different. Even if the amount of money they generate is staggering, your 13 bucks a month or your 10 bucks a month or your 20 bucks a month, depends on the plan, uh, whatever it is, it may just be a drop in the bucket, but a bucket is nothing but a collection of drops. That's all a bucket is. It's just drops in the bucket. Alyssa, am I taking this personally uh, because we both work at subscriber-driven publications? Is this is this me just reacting viscerally to, to people rejecting the business model that keeps me in, in 4K Blu-rays and uh, other comforts? No. No, you're obviously correct. People should pay for the things that they want to consume. And, you know... It's if if what you're saying is that Netflix is worthless to you, like that's fine. But 
what you're saying is that the stuff that you're complaining about losing access to is worthless. And if you, you know, if you profess to care about this stuff at all and the people who are involved in making it, that's pretty insulting. But I think this gets at a larger sort of inconsistency in the way Netflix has thought about itself and talked about itself. And, you know, as a result, the way it has sort of reshaped the industry, right? Which is that Netflix always had this, you know, at its heart, the pitch was it's going to spend an astonishing amount of money on content to create this sort of vast and ever-expanding library. So it'll be a kind of everything store for pop culture. But also, you know, it let people have enormous latitude to not pay for that content. And there is an extent to which the desire to behave like Amazon, to, you know, operate for a long time with losses, maybe, you know, fueled by some cheap debt, and to sort of keep expanding forever while also keeping in place something that meant that you were likely to hit the ceiling on your number of subscribers sooner rather than later, never quite made sense. And, you know, Amazon has always you know, operated. And again, I am a wholly owned subsidiary of Jeff Bezos. um, And so take whatever I'm saying with a grain of salt. But, you know, the Amazon business model, you know, operated at losses for a long time, because there were so many areas where it could get you to shift over your consumption, right? And so, you know, first it was books, then it was tube socks and groceries and also movies. And so it was getting you it was hooking you with low prices, to shift huge amounts of your consumption onto its platform in a way that would be really hard to give up, but that would generate sort of constantly escalating streams of revenue in addition to the subscriptions from Prime. Netflix, on the other hand, was willing to lose money and spend huge amounts of money for a long time. But it there was never sort of a long-term you know, value play for them in terms of forcing people on the service and finding ways to make them spend more money there. And so the sort of the translation of Amazon's business model into content was always sort of rocky. And even more so when you consider that the the sort of rush to streaming meant that all of these entertainment companies were narrowing down streams of revenue to one stream of revenue. And so Netflix was always going to get to this point where it maxed out on the number of people who were voluntarily subscribing under the existing conditions and had to find more people to subscribe in order to make Wall Street happy. Because the other part of the sort of strange economic transformation of the entertainment industry is that the entertainment businesses have become extraordinarily responsive to what Wall Street wants them to be doing, right? And that became a sort of distorting effect as all of these, you know, traditional linear theatrical-based companies sort of pivoted to streaming. That was what Wall Street wanted them to do. It was what was good for their share price. But, you know, it was it was not necessarily what made sense from a revenue perspective. And so, like what Netflix is doing is inherently uncontroversial in the sense that it's something that it obviously had to do, right? Like the era of cheap credit is over. They have had their first subscriber losses, which means that they've had to find a new pool of people to get subscribing at sort of the high price US levels as opposed to, you know, their cheaper uh, alternatives overseas. And so the obvious pool of people to do that is people who like their content but aren't paying for it. And so from a business perspective, it's a totally non-traversial thing to do. From a moral perspective, it's a total not, totally non-traversial thing to do. What's controversial is that Netflix let this go on so long in a way that was, I think, not particularly wise 
for them, but also that set sort of unrealistic expectations as they were reshaping an entire industry. Yeah, I, w- I want to hit on this uh, for a minute because a- as annoyed as I am with the consumers who say, you know, oh, we deserve to keep getting the thing for free and Netflix should be happy that we're here not paying for things and watching. As much as I hate those people, um, I have no love for Netflix as a business entity. Uh, you know, leave it, set aside the movies and TV shows they produce, some of which are good, some of which are bad, whatever. It's like anything else. I find I find their business practices to be exceptionally bad. I mean, obviously they're a great success, so what do I know? But here's here's what they what they did. They essentially destroyed one segment of the market that creates and produces revenue for movies, right? They essentially destroyed the DVD Blu-ray market um, and replaced it with the streaming market. And they did this by losing an enormous amount of money for a long time and offering... This is very important. This is like the key fact of Netflix. They offered people a deal that was too good to be true. They gave them too much content at too low a price uh, with instant access... Uh, and they built an enormous empire out of it. It's working for them now, as you say, like with the, with Amazon, you know, you, if you, there's, there's a case to be made for losing money for a long time to create a subscriber base that you can then, you know, raise, uh, raise the rates on and whatever. Well, and an infrastructure that you can do cool things with too, right? right? I mean, you know, you need to like, I mean, Netflix has to invest in server capacity, but it doesn't have to build like the entire sort of two day delivery infrastructure that Amazon did. And that, allows it to provide a service that is essential as opposed to merely fun. Right. No, I mean that's I mean the the key fact of Amazon, right, is that it's actually a logistics company. It's not a it's yeah. not a place where you buy books and movies and socks. It's it's actually a giant logistics company. And if Netflix hasn't done anything similar, which is why Netflix is now like, okay, well we gotta find more people to subscribe. But I, I resent I resent I resent what Netflix did. Um and I, I am annoyed by it. And I frankly I shed no tears for the for the pro, for the for the difficulties they find themselves in now because they effectively convinced people that content be it movies, TVs, whatever should be as close to free as possible and that you deserve to get it and you deserve to get that instantly right on your 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 TV and that's an insane business and now we are in a situation where we are seeing something like closer to what all of this stuff is actually worth you know what it's actually worth it's worth the cost of cable that's what it's that's what it's worth we're going to talk about this in the bonus episode just all the various different uh, streaming streaming services and which are which are the most valuable and which you should get rid of. But like I I look at my I I sat down and added up how much I'm spending a month on on streaming and it is effectively what my cable bill is, which I still also have. I'm basically paying two cable bills now. Now I'm in a special situation because this is my job and I I'm not complaining about that. But we are now entering a moment where, frankly, it's still actually undervalued. And we're going to see that more and more as HBO raises prices, as Hulu raises prices, as Disney Plus raises prices, as Peacock raises. Everybody's going to start raising their prices. And I don't know what else I I like. Of course they are, because that's what the stuff is worth. You know what? You know what's expensive? Making movies. Making movies very expensive. You know what's expensive? Making TV shows. Making TV shows extremely expensive. Um, and we, uh, as consumers, have gotten kind of spoiled by not having to shoulder the cost of that because debt was so cheap for so long. And I think things I like the the what is going to happen is we're going to have a massive contraction in the amount of stuff that gets made, which is going to lead to some of these streaming services closing or merging. Which is going to lead to a lot of lost jobs. And I think this is going to happen sooner rather than later. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Look, if you're mad at Netflix for convincing consumers to behave irrationally, I'm mad at them, them and Wall Street for convincing the industry, you know, the industry as a whole to essentially light its own business model on fire and under undo the financial underpinnings of a model that produced a tremendous amount of great art. It's a bummer. I mean, it's 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 insane to me. I like again. I I feel I feel like I'm taking crazy pills because what what you uh, ended up with was a situation where everybody looked at Netflix and looked at how overinflated the stock was and how much money they were and how much revenue they were generating and said we can do the same thing we can replace all of our revenue streams via streaming not only we can, that we can but we have to that we have to we got to do this cuz this is what this is what the stock market wants so we're going to get rid of our, we're going to undercut our theatrical revenue we're going to get essentially get rid of dvd blu-ray uh, revenue we're we're going to lose out on all of our you know cable streaming uh, rights yeah. we're and and we're going to put it all in streaming and that's where we're going to get all our money from and that just doesn't make sense it doesn't work as a business model i don't understand how anybody anywhere looked at this and was like ah it's a good thing we should do this clearly you know studio heads if you'd been listening to across the movie aisle <laughs> you would have known better so i i, I again i i don't i try not to rant as much as I'm ranting right now, but it, it like, oh. I, how, did it, how, oh. did, how did nobody see this coming? Trust me, as the person who, I, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, in my early days doing this, you know, more than a decade ago, saying like, you know, I, I don't see how, unbund- like, the cable bundle is a good deal. I'm not sure how this is all going to work. This financial model doesn't really make sense. And was just roundly excoriated, just mocked by readers left, right, and center. And it's like... Decade later, sorry guys, it's like it's gonna get worse. You're gonna have less stuff. It's gonna be more expensive, and you're still gonna be getting cable for sports. <laughs> you're still gonna be getting cable. Anyway, uh, all right. So, what do we think? Is it a controversy or a controversy that Netflix is cutting off the moochers, Alyssa? That's a controversy. Everything that's become come before that is a controversy. Yeah, it's obviously a controversy. But uh, again, I I have no I have no sympathy for Netflix here. I have no sympathy whatsoever. Like you you made your bed, now you can lie in it. And if it takes your whole company down, so be it. All right, uh, make sure to tune in for our special bonus episode on Friday. We're gonna rank the streaming services. Money is tight. Your your bank account is limited. What is worth your precious dollars? We'll let you know. I have some strong thoughts on this, too. Uh, So expect more yelling, Sonny. And now we are on to the main event, uh, Women Talking, directed by Sarah Polly. It's nominated for Best Picture Oscar uh, and Best Screenplay, I believe. Best Original Screenplay. Um, Best Adapted. Best Adapted. adapted. It's Miriam Toe's novel. Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, Women Talking is the story of a group of... It's the story of a group of Mennonite women who, uh, after learning that men in their community had been drugging and raping them for years, uh, including their young children, debate over whether or not they should do nothing stay and fight, or leave their community forever. And so they're going to, you guessed it, talk it out. That's it. That's the movie. It is, as the title suggests, about women talking. And while that does sound a little bit like a setup to a Rodney Dangerfield or Andrew Dice Clay joke, uh, it is deadly earnest. This is a capital S, capital M, serious movie. It's one that takes great pains to ensure that it includes all women with its awkwardly shoehorned trans subplot. And it's uh, very obvious parallels to the B2 movement and Hollywood and the the way that women keep telling good ally Ben Wishaw that he should listen, not speak. It's all there. It's men listen, women talk. Um, I don't want to be entirely negative here. I'm just going to be mostly negative in this segment. So let me say that I will say it has good performances by fantastic actresses. Uh, Rooney Mara, 
uh, and Claire Foy are both very good. Uh, Frances McDormand isn't in the movie very much, but she did produce it. And the the few she- scenes she is in, she's she's quite good. Jesse Buckley is solid, though. I do uh, kind of wonder if between this and Men, and I'm thinking of ending things and The Lost Daughter, she is kind of being typecast as the woman who spends most of her time on screen uh, making annoyed faces at and about men. I just I feel like she, she might want to branch out a little bit i look the movie as a whole i i did not care for it at all it it has this kind of horribly desaturated look um that calls to mind uh emancipation which we talked about a couple of weeks ago um it's it's almost black and white but not quite it's just this horrible drab blue gray um there's nothing there's there there's no there are no interesting visual ideas in this film there's no real conflict um it's just a lot of like shots of people talking um, and it's, it's so self-satisfied and I gotta be honest, the movie got off on the wrong foot with me when in the opening moments, there's a title card that shouts in all caps at us. What follows is an act of female imagination. And this is just like the worst, most annoying sort of uh, like just artless button pushing. It's just a finger on the scale that demands of us, the, the, the critics and the, uh, voters for awards and all that sort of thing to be treated, you know, seriously but also with kids gloves frankly uh you got to talk about this movie respectfully um despite the fact that its entire two-hour running time is just them running around lighting straw men on fire and pretending that they're revealing some kind of hidden truth i don't know i'm a man so i would think that uh Alyssa, you were a woman watching women talking uh what did you what did you make of it i liked a lot of this um and i i totally understand why you and peter um did not like this. And yet it got me in a couple of ways, right? First, I think it's a very effective evocation of what it's like to live in the kind of mindset that most of us living in secular culture just do not have access to, right? I mean, you know, I don't think either of us, you know, I don't think either of us is walking around with a sincere belief that if we do not live up to certain moral standards, we're going to hell, right? I mean, and that like hell is a real place and that the damnation of our souls is an urgent matter, right? I mean, I, I'm speaking for you, but um, and I think, you know, a lot of moviegoers don't really have access to that kind of mentality. And so I thought that the movie does a does a kind of remarkable job of tricking you into you know using its plainness to sort of trick you into not realizing how alien this mindset is to most viewers right i mean this is a like yes there this is an argument about gender and violence but it is very much an argument about sort of what the right thing to do spiritually is and you know the sort of turning point in the movie is one of the characters saying that she can't stay in the community without doing things for which she will be damned, right? And that is, you know, a moral imperative for these characters in a way that I think is just not accessible to most of us. It's not something that a lot of us, you know, look, there are a lot of Americans who believe hell is real. There's an actual possibility of going there. But the people who see women talking are not, like, there's not a a lot of overlap in that Venn diagram, I'm willing to guess, in part because not a lot of people saw women talking, period. And so I think the movie, I found that really touching. And that's something that does not work without the performances here, right? Without, you know, Ona sort of 
near, like, you know, kind of ecstatic near heresy without Salome, that's Claire Foy's characters, you know, just sort of agonized searching. I mean, there's this line towards the end where one of the characters tells another that, you know, what we asked you to do is an ab- is was an abuse of forgiveness, right? Like, we asked you to to, you know, suffer in a way that is sort of theologically and spiritually deforming. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if that moment lands with everyone who watches the movie like it landed with me, but I found the spiritual components of the movie and that role in the drama very affecting. I also think it's a movie about, you know, what does it mean to raise boys? And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. My son is 15 months old. I'm a woman. I grew up in American society. I have a sense of the sort of the pitfalls that my daughter might face. But, you know, the sort of agonized deliberations among the women towards the end of the movie, it's like how, you know, if we're going to leave this community and we take some boys with us, what's sort of the cutoff, right? Like when does our obligation to raising these boys into responsible men end? And what if they're resisting what we have to teach? You know, there's sort of dark comic element to how one of the characters resolves that question. But, you know, I mean, I, again, like Ben Wishaw's character, there's this sense it's like the women are leaving him behind to sort of carry on what they view as important work. Um, And again, I just, I found all of that very poignant. And that may be, you know, sort of, very much where I am coming from in my life at the moment. But, you know, I think that's a that's a sort of underrated part of the movie is, you know, women thinking through how to raise their sons to be the kind of men that they value. And I don't think the movie has sort of a simple answer for how you go about doing that. But it's, you know, it's sort of asked as a kind of agonized question. And then finally, I mean, you know, I... I have been in a couple of different groups in my life where people made decisions by consensus. And it's actually a really hard process. And the script gets very well at the sort of draining nature of those conversations. Like the characters have to take breaks. They have to get away from each other because they're just sick of being in a room with each other. But it also is very deft at getting at the kinds of questions and moments that sort of break loose those deliberations, right? So... You know, when Ona asks, like, if we stay and fight, what are we staying and fighting for? Um, And that's those moments in those communal deliberations that sort of reframe the discussion and break things open are not something I've ever seen depicted on screen before um, and that I found very interesting. And look, you know, I I don't like the way this movie looks particularly either. Um, I think it would have been... You know, I would have much rather seen it either in black and white or in full color. I think either of those would have been sort of a stronger choice and would have made those moments of strangeness like the census truck showing up feel more jarring. Um, And, you know, you would have seen the contrast between the way these women are living and the landscape and the intrusions of the outside world just much more visually clearly. But I just I like the performances so much. And those three aspects of the script just really got me. And, you know, I, again, I can't begrudge either of you for not liking it. But it really I've I've thought about it a lot since I saw it and really found myself deeply touched by elements of it. Did you I, were you not 
struck by I mean I, I you say you've never seen the this this kind of uh, decision making by consensus done on on Scream 4 it's not exactly the same thing but um what about like 12 angry men I feel like there is a similar you know idea at the heart of that similar sort of structural thing going on so there's a difference between something like that where it's an artificial community that has to come together to make a decision and a community that is sort of committed to living by consensus decision making and that is debating sort of its own values in a way that's inscrutable to outsiders does that make sense sure no that makes yeah it's just it's just a little different yeah you know, I mean, something like 12 Angry Men, the whole point of some of 12 Angry Men is like, we're going to bring together all of these people who are very different and force them to forge a common decision. And they're going to confront all of the clashes in their values. And a sort of consensus movie, you know, it's about taking these people who have decided to live in this, you know, way that seems very strange to most people in the audience um, and by a set of values. Like they have a common set of values. And so they're debating sort of within that narrower range. And they're all invested in each other. Like, the people at the end of 12 Angry Men are never going to see each other again, right? And so the characters in this movie are making a much more momentous decision. It's just slightly different to me. Yeah. I'm a little surprised, honestly, but but also interested that you uh, took took the discussion of faith kind of at face value because it felt fairly mocking to me, at, le- at least in large, in large portions of the film. I mean, it, it definitely felt like... Uh, particularly the bit where they're talking about, you know, the abuse of forgiveness. Like, look at look at this dumb belief system um, that is being abused for evil purposes. This is how they work. Oh, I didn't read it that way at all. I mean, things like the, fi- you know, the framing of, like, the final journey out of the community are, I mean, that's literally shot as an invocation of the exodus, right? I mean, it's to the extent that there is sort of visual thought going into this movie, I thought it was very much in service of sincerity. And in that scene where you have this discussion about the abuse of forgiveness, you know, that's a moment of accountability for the characters in the movie, right? I mean, and again, it's one of those moments that kind of breaks open the deadlock where, you know, the characters who have done something bad, to you know one of their fellow women can sort of acknowledge it and she can be heard and that's an important moment for them if they are going to you know sort of be able to live their faith in a purified and renewed way um i yeah i took the movie totally at face value um in terms of the depiction of spirituality i mean i think that there's very much an understanding that what has happened to these women is a corruption and it's a discussion. I mean, it's, you know, um, A.O. Scott put it in his review. It's a debate between sort of exit and voice, right? Is this community as it's currently constituted purifiable or in order to live our faith to its higher standards, do we have to leave? Um, I didn't, I didn't think the movie at all was saying that like faith itself was stupid. I think it had enormous respect for the character's faith. Uh, at least that again, that's the way it read to me. You mentioned the census truck. So uh, there's there's a moment in the film where a census truck comes through this uh, farm community, and we find out that it's uh, that it's taking the census for the 2010 census, which um, I some people have said is like a big shock. Like it's it's like the village, you know, the M Night Shyamalan movie. But that's also not really. I didn't I didn't really take it that way exactly. Uh, did you? How? What was your read on that? Was it just supposed to? Did you just take it as like? 
oh, look, this is still happening now. Or what was your what was your read on that? Well, this is based on a real right, event. Right, right, right. Um, right. And so uh, that didn't, you know, knowing that going into the movie didn't particularly surprise me. Look, I mean, there are insular religious communities all over the world. Um, and, you know, some of them experience really terrible things from inside. I actually found that scene sort of charming, right? Because it's like, you know, the song itself, Daydream Believer, is such a cheesy song, right? And yet you see these, you know, younger girls who are part of the conclave be, you know, actually like drawn out and lured by it. And, you know, for them, this like incredibly titillating thing is talking to someone from the outside world and not even like flirting, but like being counted, right? Like they go out there and they're like, no one else in the community is participating in the census. And they're like, their big act of sort of flirty rebellion is to go like follow a guy in a truck with this like cheesy song from the 60s and like participate in the national census. It's sort of adorable and strange. And it's kind of an illustration of, you know, the relative purity of heart of these, you know, what are fundamentally still children, even though something incredibly terrible has been done to them. It's like eating, you know, a candy with two layers, right? It was like the outside tastes weird and then you get to the sweetness within in that yeah. particular scene. All right. Which which do you prefer, this or She Said? Oh, my God. This by so, <laughs> so many yards. Like, just not even a question. In part because I think She Said is terribly written. And I think this is not, right? I mean, this yeah. movie is sort of attentive to language and playful and has a dramatic arc, in the way that she say, said doesn't have, I mean, she said is so grotesquely sort of self-congratulatory. I mean, even just the contrast between this movie's sort of approach to spirituality and the just like incredibly cheeseball scene of Ashley Judd and I said being like, I have to do this as a woman and a Christian. Like, <sighs> okay. Like, I, yeah, I will say I do. I, I, uh, the the one thing I did like about this much more than she said is the fact that it is basically structured like a play where you have... Yep. You have an actual, you know, debate happening amongst the people. Again, I, I like I'm not 100 percent sure that the the conflict at the heart of it really works just because the uh, issue at question is so is so grotesque. And yeah. like the, the answer is so obvious um, yeah. that, that, you know, they have to leave uh, that I, I don't know that that works exactly. But but again, it's a question of the mindset, right? It's, you know, what feels obvious to us is not entirely obvious to these women and but this gets all right but let me let me just my my one last point is that this feels this it does not i i i just i i disagree with you when you say that this is a, a movie that puts that puts us in the mindset of these people because it does feel like such a modern thing it it hews to so many modern ideals and tropes again i go back to like the kind of tossed in trans character who like is like, hey, look, you know, oh, it turns out she was a man the whole time. And, like, I'm sorry, I just, I don't think that this is how the the community would have talked about this. I'm also surprised that that aspect of the movie hasn't attracted more criticism, just in the sense that it's like, oh, sort of transness as a response to sexual violence. Right? Well, no, but, like, it, but, but yeah. again, but the, it, movie, the movie makes... It, yeah. Right, the movie makes a very explicit point, like, she wasn't made trans by the trauma. Yeah. She was always trans, and we came to understand that. And I'm just like... I'm yeah, just like, I don't think that stop. note in the movie works. Yeah. I don't. I Like, I actually think that actress is fairly good, but I don't think that... And I don't know if that's in Miriam, Miriam Toza's original novel. I haven't read it, although I'm eager to now. Um, but I don't think that... 
aspect of the movie works. And it also undercuts the poignancy of leaving August, Ben Wishaw's character, like in the community, right? I mean, if they leave and he's like the only good man left to be the bulwark, that's very different than if you have sort of like two men there to kind of keep the community going. Yeah, I I do not think that's a plot worked. All right, so thumbs up or thumbs down on women talking. Alyssa. You know, thumbs up. Peter told us over text he did not like it, but I will I will not I will not uh, guess a thumbs up or thumbs down on on his on his part. Maybe he can tell us when he comes back. Thumbs down for me. I just it does not I I I, I vaguely resent being made to watch this by the Academy, uh, nominating it for Best Picture. I it is. I was hoping we could we could skip this movie entirely, but alas, it was not not to be. All right, that is it for this week's show. Make sure you tune into our bonus episode on Friday. Tell your friends. Strong recommendation from a friend is basically the only way to grow podcast audiences. If you don't grow, we'll die. If you did not love today's episode, if you want to, if you want to talk to me on Twitter, you can do that at Sunny Bunch. I'll convince you that this is in fact the best show in your podcast feed, or you can just yell at me. It's, it, it, that happens a lot too. Uh, see you guys next week. <laughs>